Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Koi Bowles. I'm a member of the Zach Brown Band and I have my own project, Koi Bowles and the Fellowship. I'm going to be sharing my story and playing some songs. Are you here? <laughs> now that's a question you don't even have to answer because, well, you're listening to the Paul Leslie Hour and that tells you where you are. You're here. On this episode, we're pleased to present an interview and acoustic and vocal song performances from Coy Bowles. You see, Coy's been a member of the Zac Brown Band since 2007. Coy sings, plays guitar, slide guitar, dobro, piano, and organ. And oh yeah, Coy's a great songwriter too. His own group, Coy Bowles and the Fellowship, has released two albums to date. And know this, you will be glad to see Coy Bowles and the rest of the Zac Brown Band in concert with Kenny Chesney, Uncle Cracker, and Megan Maroney on the 2024 Sun Goes Down Tour. Visit ZacBrownBand.com for more information on locations and tickets. Hey, you do want to support independent media and the spoken word. I guess that goes without saying. So go visit www.thepaulleslie.com slash support and give to yourself and to others the gift of stories. And now, ladies and gentlemen, be prepared to be in a state of awe. You are about to enjoy an interview and some soulful singing and playing with the great Koi. Bowls. Ladies and gentlemen, it is with great pleasure we welcome our special guest, Mr. Coy Bowles. Coy Bowles is a member of the Zach Brown Band. He also has his own group, Coy Bowles and the Fellowship. We've been sharing the story of the Zach Brown Band, interviewing a few of the members of the band, and this week we're profiling Coy Bowles. So first of all, thanks so much for making the time to do this. Thanks for having me. I think most stories are best from the beginning. So tell us about where you're from and how you got here. I am from a very small town outside of Macon, Georgia, called Thomaston, Georgia. I'm an only child, and I have two very supportive and loving parents who've been a major part of my you know, success in, in the music business You know, as far as their support. Long story short, I basically started playing guitar when I was around 10 or 11 years old because my mom wanted me to do something during the summer so I wouldn't get in trouble because, you know, just a small town and there being, you know, boredom is the, you know, the devil's hands, I guess, or whatever. So I basically took guitar lessons for uh, that summer and, and I really didn't like it at all. I didn't like playing the guitar and I didn't like taking guitar lessons from this guy. So after the show was over, after the, after the guitar lessons were over, I decided to, to just fiddle around the guitar in my, in my bedroom on my own. And that was kind of where I really started taking off. I mean, I would sit in my room for hours and hours and hours after I got out of school, you know, learning Nirvana songs and Pearl Jam were probably my two biggest influences growing up. Because that scene broke wide open right at the time when I was getting into music and music was cool, you know, when I was like 12 and 13. And so, but I, I had like a very compulsive nature about, about playing and practicing. I would sit in my room 
after I did my homework when I was, you know, 12 or 13 years old and play a song for about six hours, literally. And, and wouldn't, in my mind and in my head, it felt like it was about 30 minutes. It didn't really feel like it was that long. So I, I progressively got, you know, better pretty quickly just on the fact that once I picked it up, kind, time kind of disappeared and I, would just go and go and go. And then I talked to the members of my band at that time. I talked them into like basically learning how to play music. I mean, I had a friend whose dad had a drum set and I talked him into learning how to play drums. And I had another friend who didn't even have a bass guitar and talked him into learning how to play bass. And basically I learned how to play drums, showed them how to do it and learn how to play bass and showed them how to play bass. And, and then cause I really wanted to have a band. And so by the time I was 15, I was playing probably 14 was playing at church functions and playing at parties, you know, like birthday parties and stuff like that for kids in my hometown and trying to gig and stuff like that. Got a really crappy PA system, you know, and, and so since I was literally about 14 or 15, I've wanted to gig, you know, I don't, I really don't know why either. I mean, there's, I don't really know why the drive was to do it other than the fact that I just knew I could. And there was like, it was the only other thing to do really, you know, besides cause just dreaming about it in my, in my room, like closing my eyes and thinking I was on stage didn't seem all that fun cause I really wanted to do it, you know, in real life. So, and that led into me going to, to college and playing music there. And uh, I took a year off from playing music altogether when I was a freshman in, in college. I was in the dorms and you couldn't play musical instruments in the dorm. And so I had a guitar. And I would, you know, go and play in the park and stuff like that every once in a while. But it just became such a hassle that I really just kind of, you know, put it aside. And and then about you know eight months later after that, I, I got back into it again and kind of got bit by the bug. I mean, I remember sitting in my my bedroom and listening to Stevie Ray Vaughan and being like, I could hear everything that he was doing. And I... And I, I could hear it and I was like, wow, that's really weird. I mean, I can, I know, it's like I understand, it's like I can speak language now, you know? I listen to music enough and play guitar enough to where, I mean, it was literally like one day, you know, I remember the day sitting there and be like, I understand everything he's doing. And so I spent the next like maybe five hours learning how to play every note that he was playing and I could do it. I mean, I literally, my hands and my mind and my body and everything was, I could do it. And so I was like, wow, that's really crazy. And then after that, I, I was so stoked about how cool that sounded and that I was able to do it, that it was kind of no going back from there. I mean, I officially got bit by the bug, you know, and I was going to school studying biology and was about six months away from graduating with a biology degree and was in lab one day and just realized that I couldn't really do this anymore. You know, it was just ultimately the most boring life and I was like, I always considered myself to be somebody who was going to make a difference in the world. And not that you can't make a difference playing, you know, in biology, you know, or in that field, but that my life, you know, was more about passion and, you know, artistic uh, nature and creativity and things like that. And I called my mom and was like, I think I'm going to uh, quit going to school for biology. And she was like, what? You only got six months left, you know? <laughs> And I was like, yeah, I think, uh, I think I, I really want to go to school for music, you know? And I had started taking guitar lessons from my Brazilian classical guitar player in Carrollton, which is actually where I met Zach when I was going to school at West Georgia and uh, about to graduate from there. And I was taking lessons and learning like, you know, basic theory, like, you know, major scales and stuff like that. And because I was getting very frustrated practicing in my room for six hours a day, uh, after I, you know, went to school for eight hours a day and studied biology that 
that I was kind of hit this, pl- you know, this, this place to where I, I, I wasn't hearing any, any other things in my brain, you know? So I wanted to start, you know, talking to, to somebody and taking lessons to, cause I'd never taken lessons before, you know, so I figured it couldn't hurt. So anyway, I just, I switched paths and ended up going to school at Georgia State and graduated from school at Georgia State with a jazz degree. And, and that was kind of where I, I met, you know, all my, Atlanta musician friends and connections and started really getting into playing, you know, the blues hardcore in the Atlanta scene and jazz hardcore in the Atlanta scene and all of that, you know, so. Tell us about your influences now. You mentioned a couple of people that you felt were an influence on you in the beginning. Sure. What about now? I, I mean, honestly, I, I think that now is, is really interesting because it's, it's my friends. It's the people that I hang around with more often. It's the people that, you know, that I know their lives and I know the reason why they wrote that song or the reason why they're playing that song is because of the, the way they, they're feeling. I mean, I would say, you know, some of my biggest influences of all time that, you know, other people would, would really know would be like Ray Charles and Stevie Wonder and, you know, obviously the Beatles and, Derek Trucks and Almond Brothers and Jeff Beck and, and those kind of guys. And even in the, the near, the last like, you know, two years since I've started playing with Zach, I've got influence to, uh, Daryl Scott, who's an amazing songwriter, musician, and a lot more of, uh, like Jerry Douglas, you know, bluegrass players and things like that. But my biggest influences over the last, uh, maybe seven to 10 years have been people when I started playing in the blue scene in Atlanta, like a fellow named Oliver Wood, who's got a band called the wood brothers he was a big influence on me as far as songwriting being very passionate about your instrument and and also in music business like how to you know how to be a successful musician and be and not sell out and and be passionate and and be for real you know and and it's not about playing in front of you know 10 million people as much as it is the 700 people or the seven people that are watching you are really believing it. And if they go and tell somebody else, then one day it will work out, you know? And there's another guy who named Donnie McCormick, who was a cat. I <laughs> even mentioned his name makes me smile and laugh. He's a, he's no longer with us, but he was probably the most creative person I've ever met in my life. And he, he kind of took me under his wing at Northside Tavern, which is a, a legendary blues bar in Atlanta that I played at and basically cut my teeth at playing guitar and, had in the last, you know, seven, eight years. And he was a very interesting guy, man. He's a hardcore, kind of a biker guy, very uh, pop art, you know, or folk art, I guess you would say, not pop art, but folk art. You know, like, uh, for example, I walked into uh, his loft slash warehouse thing that he used to live at one day. It was like a kind of like peewee, peewee, peewee's big adventure, the way it looked inside. It was just crazy stuff everywhere. And somebody had given him like a very expensive blow up pool. And he was asleep on a, a blow up air mattress in a blow up pool inside of his house. It was full of water and he was just like floating around with his fan blowing on him. And I was like, Donnie, are you, are you all right, man? He was like, yeah, check out this new pool I got. And I was like, wow, that's insane. Who has a pool in their house? You know what I mean? <laughs> so uh, he was definitely outside of the box, but he, he, you know, he, he was probably one of my biggest influences because of the fact that, uh, and and he was a big influence on Oliver as well. We were all hanging out in the same, you know, the same scene in Atlanta. But Donnie, I'll just never forget, you know, some of the things that that he stood for, which is, you know, 
creativity and music is really what it's about. It's not about the money. It's not about the fame. It's not about, you know, success or anything else. It's just like your heart is what you really have to take care of, you know? And when you see it and you breathe it and you're around people who are, who are, are really doing it the same, then it makes you feel a certain way and you never want to stop feeling like that, you know? So, you know, I would definitely, and plus he was a great songwriter. I mean, don't get me wrong as far as he wasn't just this very, you know, spiritual kind of guy who had all this great advice. You know, he was, when he, when he played and when he sang, he played a chicken coop actually. Uh, he, he had like surpassed drums. He played uh, drums his whole life in, uh, you know, a band called Eric Quincy Tate, which was, huge at one point they were signed to capricorn and the almond brothers actually used to open up for them but he later after traveling around the world and you know and touring and everything and doing all that he later just got where the drums were limiting to him and so he grabbed a chicken coop a wooden chicken coop and put bells and cowbells and stuff all on it and that was what he would play for an instrument and uh, that was the most mesmerizing thing to me because when you first look at it, you're like, ah, this guy's playing in chicken coop. That's pretty funny. <laughs> but when you really see him play it, you're like, he's playing it as if it were like, you know, a really, a real instrument that you would look up in some book of instruments and it'd be like, the chicken coop is a percussive instrument, you know? <laughs> so yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, and just, you know, not following rules. I mean, when it comes to creativity and it comes to music, you know, such as that, it was awesome to be around somebody who, Playing the chicken coop was legit. And so that makes you think about, you know, well, do I need to have six strings on my guitar or do I need to play guitar? You know what I mean? Or, or, you know, it just makes you kind of think outside the box. And ultimately, that's what it's really about to me, you know, so. I never thought we'd go there. (laughs) We're kind of resurrecting a tradition that we used to have on the show where an artist will play a song from one of their influences. You're a man that frequently wears a hat. So this is your chance to tip the hat. This I'll play a Donnie McCormick song, actually, uh, now that we've been talking about him so much. This is a kind of Sean Costello, which is another Atlanta musician who, sadly enough to say, he recently passed away as well. But I learned how to play this song just so I could uh, have this in my heart and play it whenever I felt like I wanted to uh, revive Donnie and Sean. So this is a Donnie McCormick called, song called Have You No Shame. saw you last night Under those parking lot lights all wrapped up In somebody else's arms From the shadows I could see The way you looked at me You had a hard time Resisting all this charm But have you no shame? Have you no shame? Have you no shame? Have you no shame? From a friend of mine But I guess I knew it all the time That your love Never did amount to very much The weather will never be the same 
dream I can't see my teardrops for the rain And this heart hurts This heart hurts to the touch I have you no shame 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 you last night under those parking lot lights all wrapped up in somebody else's arms from the shadows I could see the way you looked at me you had a hard time resisting all these charms have you no shame Have you no shame? Have you no shame? Have you no Yeah, it is, man. Very good. Thank you, Coy. You have an album out called Into the Distance. I was hoping you could tell us about the title track. My great aunt found out she had cancer, and she was okay with it. And I never in my life met anyone who would look death in the face and just been cool with it. And I thought that was probably the most amazing thing that I've ever been a part of. She'd lived a long life. She had kids who loved her. She loved her kids. She had no regrets. And to me, that's the ultimate meaning of life is to when it's all said and done, you're okay with it. And so that made me realize that was, uh, you know, I was, I think between the ages of 25 and maybe I don't know when it actually ends, but I would probably say somewhere around maybe 40 is when you start really, you know, going through the phases of 
having kids and getting married and, you know, or being around people who are doing that. And I think that that's when you start, when you see birth, you also start kind of realizing that there's, you know, death around the corner because, you know, when you're in college and when you're 18, you don't necessarily think about things that much, but the older you get, the more you start realizing things of that nature. And that was really the first time that I start re- started realizing that, you know, there's, there's a lot to this whole thing and I better start really kind of going for it while I'm alive, you know? And, and so I came up with this concept that, you know, we all too pass into the distance and, and it was actually, Weirdly enough, Donnie McCormick had just had a heart attack and somebody was asking him how he was doing. And he said, yeah, this old, this old, uh, this old ticker just keeps on ticking. And then behind his back, somebody was talking about their car and they said, yeah, that damn thing left me on the side of the road. I guess it's finally kicked the bucket. And I started thinking, wow, it's really interesting how people kind of relate their cars to being alive. And so I basically within the song, made an analogy to your life being a ride in a vehicle or my aunt's, my great aunt's life being a car, you know? And so there's a lot of analogies to, you know, kind of riding down the road or, or, you know, that kind of thing. It being a very, like a a trip, a journey. It was one of the first songs that I ever wrote that I really felt that said exactly what I wanted to say too, which was, which was a great feeling, you know? And so I thought I would dedicate the album to her and I thought it would be a nice name for, uh, you know, for my first album, you know, to have some depth to it. So. Do you write now with the other members of the Zach Brown band? Yeah, a lot. We just, Zach and I, and see, Zach and I, Levi Lowry, and I think Wyatt Durrett. When Wyatt Durrett was actually the uh, the father, he was the one who birthed the song, as we call it. But we all sat down and kind of finished it, you know, over a, maybe a month to two-month period, a song called Colder Weather, which I could think maybe possibly be one of the best songs that that band's ever written, you know. And Zach will say the same thing, you know. Yeah. And a lot of the guys will. It's just, and we're playing it on the on the show now. Like, if he was to come and see the band live, you'd see it, you know, on a nightly basis. And I had a lot to do with writing that song. And there's another song called Who Knows, which is more of a uh, jammy, you know, improvisational style tune that that I wrote when I was about 19 that Zach and I ended up and the band ended up arranging, you know, together and Zach wrote some verses for it. And so, yeah, I, I write a lot, you know, with the with the band, you know, and I would say it's the most constructive group of lunatics I've ever been around, hmm. you know, because there's a lot of productivity going on. But, man, it's a bunch of basket case guys, you know, all good guys, but just everybody's a character in their self, you know, so. What do you think of Zach Brown? A lot of things, man. He's probably the most complicated person that I've ever met and complicated not in a, you know, he doesn't get in his, in his own way, really. You know, I don't mean that he's he's confused or anything like that, but he's just got more going on than anybody I've ever met before, whether it be, you know, in his head and in his heart or in just in business, you know. I will... I. We'll say in one of the things that if someone, somebody asks me about Zach Brown, I always say, never doubt Zach Brown. Because if he wants to get something done, he will get it done. Whether it, you know, it's no matter what it takes, it'll, it'll get done, you know. So that's the one thing about him that I'll, I'll say never, if he says he's going to do something, then you know, you, you, you can bet on your bottom dollar. It'll get done. It might take a while or it might, you know, whatever, you know, there might be restrictions that life comes about, but. He's a great songwriter, a great friend, man. I mean, you know, I've, I've, uh, 
I've been through a lot of stuff where he's been a great friend, you know, just besides being, you know, a, a great boss and a great musician and, and a, you know, a great father and great family man and all that. But, uh, you know, as far as, I think he's an all around super dude, man. And I really think that I feel really blessed to be a part of, you know, kind of more or less his bigger vision, you know, because it's the real thing. I mean, it's a, it's a family and nobody can take that away from me, you know, so it's a great thing. You have a song called The Healing. Yes, which is really funny. Speaking of songwriting, John Hopkins and I and Wyatt Durrett, and Wyatt Durrett is a, a fellow who wrote a lot of songs with Zach, such as Chicken Fried and whatever it is and Toes and songs that, that Zach Brown fans might, might know to be the uh, more popular songs. But Wyatt's a great friend of mine. So is John Hopkins. John Hopkins plays bass for the Zach Brown band. And I came up with a hook. I had just broken up with a, a, person that I was uh, very much in love with and was out on the road and was just carrying around a heavy heart, more or less, and realized that you have to heal yourself. I mean, like, just like a wound, you know, you have to learn how to heal yourself. And it's in the healing process in which you gain all this great wisdom about how to do that again or not do that again or whatever, take care of yourself. And so I came up with this line, it's in the healing when your heart's so broke that it's stealing, you know, because there's... When your heart's so down and out, you can actually feel like it's, it would take love from somebody else if it could, you know, it would steal love. And so John and I sat down and, and wrote the rest of the tune and Wyatt helped in on some, uh, some spots that we couldn't really figure out, you know, and I think it's a pretty cool song. Well, let's hear it. All right. It's all I can do To not think of you My line keeps ringing But you're not around It's not right for me To hold on in the sleep So I pray oh well And I put my phone down It's in the healing when your heart's so broke that it's stealing, send the healing. There's that feeling when you bring back believing it's in the healing. I fall down on my face, can't seem to replace. The souls I have burned and left in the cold But my spirit is willing And I won't lie down Right on my wrongs Turn this around It's in the healing When your heart's so broke that it's stealing It's in the healing There's that feeling When you bring back Believing it's in the healing Standing on the edge of the world Just trying to hang on 
tearing down the walls to get back to where I started from. Some healing. Your heart so broke that it's stealing, sending healing. There's that feeling when you bring back believing, it's in the healing, healing, it's in the healing. Coy Bowles, the healing. Yes, sir. You know, somebody could listen to that song and almost interpret a spiritual or gospel message. I have a preacher side to me. I will not. I will not lie. I mean, I'm. I don't necessarily consider myself all that of a religious person, even though I've you know been to church and I, I get the I get the idea. But I, I would consider myself to be a very spiritual person for sure. You know, I mean, almost to me, to a certain degree, what else is there really? You know, I mean, I think that uh, I have songs that are about you know. Things that don't really matter, but not as much, you know, so. Well, as Jeff likes to say, songs that aren't about paper plates. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, what is it you like about music, if you could put it into words? It's a release for me. I mean, ever since I was very young, if I don't do something to release kind of what's going on in my body. I don't, I don't really feel like I'm growing and I can get contaminated, I guess, as I would like to call it, you know? So it's a way for me to have a thought, whether it be good or bad, and then release it. And then so I don't have to really think about it anymore, you know? And I can move on to other thoughts or other feelings. And so it's a way for me to release. It's, I think that the world would be a lot sadder place if it wasn't for music you know what i mean it's very uplifting i mean i love to listen to music and just feel good i mean it does it actually has like a you know a resonating resonating you know uplifting you know thing to my body and my mind and my spirit and everything so but i also love playing music i mean there's not a better feeling in the world than going out on the stage especially now since we're playing in front of like you know ten thousand people or something like that and go out on stage and see a bunch of people like throwing their beers up in the air and like they're all have their mouths wide open screaming because they're about to hear what you're about to play. And you're about to really get off on the fact that they really want to hear what you have to play. So it's kind of like a big circle of everybody like, you know, giving each other like a back rub or something, you know, it kind of goes around full circle. They get off on what we do and we get off on what they do and we have to have them and they have to have us. So, I mean, it's a very awesome feeling to at the end of the night, just go, we just rock their faces off. And then for somebody else to come up and be like, you just rock my face off, you know? And so you're like, that's awesome. You know, I mean, that was, that, that's still kind of the stuff that, you know, when I was 13 years old, I was closing my eyes and playing with, you know, Pearl Jam and thinking about, you know, how awesome it would be to rock somebody's face off. And, and now I'm doing it for a living and with a bunch of people that I really believe in and songs that I really believe in. So, you know, it's like music is a great thing to me, you know. 
I mean, it's a lot more than that too, you know, but you know, that's kind of, I guess, in words. Well, speaking of rocking people's faces off and people with their arms thrust in the air with beers in their hands and their mouths open, there's a gig coming up. It's on October 30th. Yes, the Fox. I want to talk about this and I want to make sure everyone is aware of it. Well, Wilmot Green is a fellow who owns the Georgia Theater. Wilmot Green went to high school with John Hopkins, who is the bass player for the Zach Brown Band. The Zach Brown Band got its start from playing places such as the Georgia Theater. And the Georgia Theater, with all of us being and the band being, you know, Bulldog fans, you know, as far as football goes, and a lot of people spending, you know, countless hours in Athens, you know, over the years and everything else, and Athens being a big staple of what it's like to be from Georgia. The Georgia Theater is like a mecca for upcoming bands, and and it's a, a place that when you have, especially we used to play on a lot of game days because we were, you know, somewhat popular band, and so we would play on game day at the Georgia Theater and having, you know, people who have been drinking since 10 o'clock in the morning who their day is going to be fulfilled with such things as watching UGA win or lose and going and seeing the Zach Brown Band at the Georgia Theater. And I was also with my band, the Koi Bowls and the Fellowship opening up for Zach at this period of time too. So, you know, my band got the experience what it was like. And again, you have, you know, people with their mouths wide open, with their beers up in the air, screaming at the top of their lungs, you know, wanting to, to hear the music. And when it's at the Georgia Theater, man, it's awesome, you know, and that, that place burnt down uh, maybe four or five months ago. It might have been longer, but, you know, with Wilmot being a great friend of ours, and us playing there over the years and uh, having such a warm, you know, feeling like that's kind of a place that gave us, you know, I guess who we are, you know, made us who we are, that it would be the best thing we could do is to uh, throw a benefit in Atlanta and give back. So we're doing a concert at the, the Fox Theater day before Halloween, October the 30th, and all the proceeds will go to the Georgia Theater for it to be rebuilt and we're also going to be filming a DVD there, I believe, in which it will be for sale later on. And we'll have a lot of special guests coming in that night as well. I hear talks of Oliver Wood, who I've mentioned earlier, is going to be talks of him coming. And I believe some other people who are highly, highly recognized in the music industry. I don't even know if I can say, so I don't want to uh, say, but, you know, these these people are huge i would say you know friends that we've come to know over the uh, the last two years you know with the zach brown band so i'm really looking forward to it man the fox theater is like so far is by far the the most prestigious place that i've ever played we opened up for sugarland one time there before and i haven't gotten nervous from playing music in probably seven or eight years you know and i was nervous as hell just because i was like i don't even know if i'm worthy of playing the fox theater you know like, I know people who are amazing musicians and they've never played here. So what gives me the right to play here? But I played anyway and I had a great time. So we're going to play there again. And I'm really looking forward to uh, everybody showing up. So, you know, come. All the listeners can go to ZachBrownBand.com for more information on that. And that's ZACBrownBand.com. Our special guest is Mr. Coy Bowles. Coy Bowles, what is your all-time favorite meal? Man, I, it's, I, I'm, I'm so changing with the weather as far as, you know, I would ha honestly have to say my all time favorite meal 
when in doubt, it's probably Mexican food from a uh, joint called Nuevo Laredo, which is kind of in the back part of Atlanta on a place, a road called Chattahoochee Industrial Boulevard. It's kind of off of Howell Mill Road, if you know where that is. And it's been voted the number one Mexican restaurant in Atlanta for like, I don't know, 15 years or something ridiculous like that. But their, their slogan is, your search for the perfect salsa is over. That's how much, you know, they believe in their salsa. And I was pretty skeptical, man, because I really like salsa and I like to make my own salsa and I didn't really believe it that they, that they were going to be able to, uh, to come with it like that and then back it up. But uh, they have, like, the freshest cilantro that you can possibly ever put your mouth on. And they have it, like, caked inside the salsa. And I was like, it's over with, you know. I don't even need to make my own salsa anymore. I can just come here and buy theirs. And it would be twice as good as mine will ever be. And it's really, it's like a little house, you know. So it's really cool. And there's pictures of weird stuff all over the walls. And, you know, so it's not like, a you know, your normal Mexican restaurant. But, yeah, in the Nuevo Laredo, by far. They believe in their salsa, but you also believe in their salsa. I do believe that my search for salsa is over. (laughs) Well, there's a song that you're going to play in a moment before you play it, and I hope you tell us about the song as well. What are your parting words for our listeners? This broadcast goes out all over the world. So what would you like to say to all the people out there? Uh, Man, this is where – do I take it deep or do I just – you know, I'd probably say if there's anything that you want to do, do it. You know, that's and not like I'm trying to give advice or anything like that, but I guess it is a little bit of advice. But, you know, anything is possible, you know, and I'm surrounded by a group of people who believe that. Everybody that I hang out with in this band believes that if they want to do something, that they can do it. And it's an unbelievable thing to be around because I feel like I'm in like this weird bubble because then I step outside of it and I hang out with other people who aren't involved with this band or, or whatever. And, and they don't necessarily believe that. And it's very, it's an amazing thing to be, to be around these people. So I feel like I'm blessed, you know, but it's also a little bit disheartening to believe that there's people that I know that I love a lot who don't necessarily believe that. So. Surround yourself by good people and believe that you can do whatever you want to do and don't stop until you finally get there. You know, that's what I would say to anybody who would ever listen to me, (laughs) which is you guys out there. So, well, there's one more song you're going to play for us and it's called This Old Town. Yes. Well, I feel like I've just like been super, super deep and (laughs) spiritual and all this kind of stuff while in here. So, this song's going to be like the mega icing on the cake, but I had a friend of mine that I went to to high school with, and he passed away, but uh, he was actually not in a very good way. To just say that, so I don't I don't really think I want to to tell the story of this song actually, because it doesn't really matter. But you can you can you can get a a, a gist of it from the song, but. Uh, it was just me kind of looking at small town life and realizing that some small towns, there's some wicked stuff that goes on in small towns and everybody kind of turns their back towards it and looks the other way sometimes. And I wonder why. I don't really know why. Not to say that, you know, it doesn't happen in a big city or it's even wrong because it happens because everybody hasn't got to carry the weight of the world or fix other people's problems, you know, but it's just that it's, 
super uh, magnified when you're in a small town, you know, so. A little tuning here. I knew a kid when I was young He was wild as a wolf in the midnight sun He lived in a shack down by the McCoys He was broken bent and we called him Poe Boy He said my old man is a piece of work He fights like a fish, like a fish on a hook He laughs at the devil and he smiles at a priest He told me he loved me once at least He said, I'll beat you, boy, like my daddy beat me I hate you, son, cause you hate me I never had anything in this life but pain The day I was born was the birth of Cain So you can't run and you can't hide All you've got's what I provide I won't remember till the whiskey flows But when my blood thins, boy, you will know Yeah, you will know Singing the soul, town's gonna go to hell One last wish from the wishing well We'll hug your mama and say your prayers See you in the morning if you take it there Singing the soul, town's gonna go to hell One last wish from the wishing well We'll hug your mama and say your prayers I'll see you in the morning if you make it there Well, poor boy grew to be quite a man He took all the beatings and he held them in He got married, had a boy named Jack They left the town of Thompson and they never looked back Well, all was fine and all was well Till he heard the news from his sister Michelle Said, poor boy, I got news It'll make your fist curl Daddy's been messing with our baby girl So he jumped in his truck Into the Thompson line Down by the river where his old man reside He flipped out and he went wild You can beat me But you ain't touching no child No child Singing the soul Town's gonna go to hell One last wish on the wishing well We'll hug your mama and say your prayers See you in the morning if you make it there Singing this old town's gonna go to hell One last wish on the wishing well We'll hug your mama and say your prayers I'll see you in the morning if you make it there
Well, he beat his old man from an inch of his life Until he reached back and he pulled out his knife He said, a poor boy, you will never beat me Stabbed him in his heart and he set him free Well, ain't it a shame that something died this way And killed by the man who beats you every day But poor boy broke the old town spell He grew up to teach his children well Yeah, you teach your children well Singing this old town's gonna go to hell One last wish from the wishing well Well, hug your mama and say your prayers I'll see you in the morning if you make it there Singing this old town's gonna go to hell One last wish from the wishing well Well, hug your mama and say your prayers I see you in the morning if you make it there. Coy Bowles, this old town. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for doing this, Mr. Bowles. Yeah, I've had a blast, man. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I really liked what you said about limiting beliefs. Yes, it's all about, you know, life is short, man. You got to get out there and grab it, you know. If, um, you know... If I wasn't uh, so blessed to be around all these people, I don't know if I'd believe it as well. But, you know, it's it's a good thing, man. It's a positive world out there, you know. There's a lot of stuff you see on the TV that can bring you down. So don't watch TV and do what you believe in, you know. Amen. Yeah. We thank you and appreciate you dropping in for the Paul Leslie Hour today. You know, you can help the Paul Leslie Hour in our mission to provide independent media content like this by visiting www.thepaulleslie.com slash support. We truly thank you. This is your announcer speaking. Performance of the Entertainer intro song and Corina Corina outro song courtesy of John Primerano. Well, that's it for today. So until next time, be safe and be good.